All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Face of the Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka. And with me today, I'm excited to say I've got Jose Palomino here. We're going to be talking about keys to designing the revenue growth you want. Jose, welcome. Well, glad to be here, Damon. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, man, I'm really excited. And, and we, were, we were talking a lot and getting getting just now before before we went live here. And I was getting excited about ready. I was writing down a ton more notes and uh, and doing this. But to get us started, tell us a little bit about your background and, and some of the things you've been up to. And then, we, then we'll just go from there. But you've got an interesting background. I wanted you to share that. With oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So so uh, started out in business a long time ago, as my kids say, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Right. So uh, started out on the technology, project management and technology side, software development, things like that. And as a lot of people who get into technology who have a little bit of a creative bent, they end up moving into sales and marketing roles. And so that happened for a period of time. And then, you know, I was, it's interesting. I, I mentioned this story to somebody recently. I was um, handling sales for a global research company that served technology companies. Mm -hmm. And in the room was the senior vice president for one of the biggest technology companies in the world who ran their P&L for document management. It was like a $2 billion unit. And the analyst I brought, brought into that room was about all of 27 years old, right? And I wanted to speak up my ideas about what they were talking about, but my role would be somewhat like the, 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 the butler on Downton Abbey, like trying to offer an opinion on the family matters, you know, it would be inappropriate. Yeah. So right then and there, I said, oh, I got to get my, I have to create a context where I can share my experience. And at that point, 20 years experience doing this stuff. And that led me, it took about another year or two, but it led me finally to start Value Prop Interactive, which now about 17 years ago. Uh, yeah. And that's how the firm started. And then I started working with, like a lot of people would start brand new, they start working with whoever wants to work with them. But it gravitated over the years to owner-led businesses uh, in the B2B space, generally industrial, like professional services, industrial services, things like that, uh, where they often don't have um, a really, and I'm, I'm trying to not be in, uh, uh, ingenerous or ungenerous, uh, they don't have really sharp marketing and strategy and sales generally. They may have Larry, who was, you know, good in engineering, good with customers. So he's the VP of sales now. And uh, and and they literally will say like Mary or or, or Steve is the, the marketing kid, right? Mm -hmm. and, that's what they yep. think and that's kind of what you walk into. It's like, okay, well, that's that's that. And, you know, it's good little businesses, you know, anywhere from like five to $30 million in revenue. Who, you know, who wouldn't want that? That's a nice business. Yeah. But they're challenged with certain things that we started identifying and say, hmm, do they want to grow? That's the first question. And not every owner in that category wants to grow. Some are very happy taking Wednesday afternoons off and kind of keeping things going until they lose their 40% book of business in one account. That mm -hmm. the offshore all of a sudden, you go, what happened? You know, it's kind of like a relationship breakup. What happened? And yeah. so I really love helping businesses in that category. But my uh, the asset test is always, and I ask the owner, do you want to grow? Because if you don't want to grow, then what you might need is something more like, like you just want to run a nicer run business. And so maybe EOS is right for you. And that's perfectly yeah. fine. You might even grow if yeah. you do that because it's a good system or, yeah. or something like that. But if you want to grow, you want to start thinking strategically, that's where I plug in 
and I work with the owner and the leadership team to help them do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great question because a lot of people will even say they want to grow, <laughs> but they really don't. They really don't because yeah. they, 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 because they, there's a cost to it. Yes. And the reality is, I mean, there's so many books. I mean, everything from like the four hour work week that all you really need to do is, you know, just set up, you know, just set up a website and it'll make, it'll print money for you. And I'm thinking really like, are they really millions and millions of people that are just printing money on the web without really working? If, if it were that easy. Right. And the fact is it's not uh, actually the people who do print money are people selling systems on how to print money on the web. Yes. I, I was just going to say that. Can you talk about the four hour work week? And if you've ever read the book, I think it's, it's Darren Hardy reads the entrepreneur's roller coaster or something like that. He talks about the gentleman that wrote the four hour work week and he says the same thing. Like, well, oh, it's funny because, you know, it's, it's a, well, actually that particular book, the first half is very inspiring. The second yeah, half is, is kind of like pragmatic. And Tim Ferriss is one of the hardest working men in the whole personal development world. I mean, he's yes. on the road constantly. He's working. He's not working four hours, Yeah, uh, but it's a good book. And it, it, it makes yeah. you think about, okay, how do I, eliminate waste in my process, eliminate mm -hmm. waste in my time. What do I focus on best and highest use? So I think from an inspiration point of view, that could be very good even for an owner, yeah. but, uh, what, you know, I guess I'd call a real business. You got payroll, yeah. you got infrastructure, but growth is expensive and it's, it's, it, 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 it injects an element of risk. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, it's a real gut check time. So you have to say, why do I want to grow? And, uh, and and part of it, I, I just believe, especially in smaller businesses, you know, companies that are not like multinationals, uh, because most small businesses can't afford a bad year, mm -hmm. can't afford a, even a bad quarter. Oftentimes, uh, a lot of times these small businesses have been squeezed by their biggest customers on margin so long that they're not even that profitable. I mean, some are. And I've seen some. I'm going, wow, that's good to be you. You know, you look at an owner doing, you know, two point five million in EBITDA and he's working 35 hours a week. I'm saying, I, I don't know that I would change that either. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All good. But most are really just trying to keep it afloat, keep the team together, keep customers happy. And they can't clear headspace to think about, boy, pushing to something else is hard to think about until they start coming to people like you, uh, Damon, and say, well, you know, my, my, my wealth advisor or my financial advisor says I need 11.5 million dollars to you know post tax and then you're looking at a business with like a million dollar ebitda and you say well that's great well you know if wishes were horses beggars would ride uh, yeah. but you're not going to get there with that yeah yeah it is and it's 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 interesting like you like you say that it's um first of all you talked about clearing headspace and i think that's that's what a lot of business owners get get stuck in is adjusting their their day their routine their lifestyle around what the business needs today in it and that headspace just to think about what's tomorrow what's that need to look like and really what do i have to do to get there um is difficult it's difficult being in a business especially if you're as most business owners in this category are they get up and look in the mirror every day and go you know what's to make the decisions to figure out you know what their day is going to look like they even though the the rapid development of coaching and and consulting anything else you want to talk about the vast majority of these business owners are still there on their own 
Oh, and absolutely. And, hard. And, and it is hard. And, and part of it is, and I understand it. Look, they have to promote people from within. So they have good technical background, knowledge of what they do, right? So if they're a contract manufacturer or even a small OEM. Mm -hmm. uh, they need people who know what they're doing. So that's one. But these people aren't necessarily great managers or great people developers or anything like that, but they really know the technical thing. And then the people that could make a difference are actually hard to hire at that level unless they're on the kind of very much, not only in the back nine, but they're heading to the 19th hole when they become affordable again. Because somebody mm -hmm. at the height of their powers as a CMO, as a COO, wants to test that out working for a division of GE or a part of Boeing mm -hmm. and so on. Doesn't necessarily want to go into a $30 million contract manufacturer to try it out. So finding the right talent that has the right combination of skills is a real challenge. And so the owner who probably was that person who came from Boeing and started their own business, they also get frustrated. And I hear this all the time. Why can't, and fill in the blank, whatever the key, the key person on the team is, why can't they be more like, and what they describe is more like me. And yeah. I tell them, I said, well, first of all, if they were more like you, they would have left you and started their own business and be competing with you right now. So they're not more yeah. like you. They like the paycheck. They don't want to live with that risk. And they're not going to work that way. However, that doesn't make them bad employees or not. Mm -hmm. They might be very critical to your success. So you have to figure out ways to take advantage of the people you got. And that's one of the hard challenges, I think, for a lot of leadership teams, owner leaders to really say, OK, how do I move the pieces around to get the results I'm looking for and not just and, and, and this is a little rarer today, but going back even 20 years ago, I would see this that that owner that thought they could run by by iron fist. Right. Yeah. And in today's market, uh, especially that ain't working. It's not working. <laughs> Everybody's going for the door. Right. It was never a good plan, but you no. can get away with it. But now it's yeah. really a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and you talk about that clearing that headspace. And I think I think that is the real advantage of owners that just say, listen, I I want I want someone else to help because it, it is that fresh perspective and yeah it's got to be the right the, the right person group firm whatever you want to call it helping first of all you got to have the right person and and you know you and, and i'm sure can tell a gazillion stories that owners will will share about hired the wrong person hired the wrong person employee wise hired the wrong firm to help them do something but um that that headspace and clearing that headspace and being that uh, objective other party to guide them through this process is is really valuable uh, in in terms of new developments that they might not thought. Uh, the other thing I'm sure that you see a lot in in the way that you're working with similar but in different industries, you can use something from one industry that may not have been used a whole lot in this industry, but it could be very valuable. Oh yeah, well. You know, the you know, principles are principles, right? So principles yeah. translate largely, not not a hundred percent, but a lot of them are spark an idea. So, mm -hmm. for example, something that you see increasingly, especially with small OEMs, is something, uh, and we've seen it take off in a lot of consumer goods, is the idea of a, a subscription program. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so if I sell a hundred thousand dollar machine, and it has wear parts. 
Yep. Why not add a subscription as opposed to always competing with Granger for that wear part? Because at the end of the day, the operator of that machine, they just want the machine. They want uptime. They don't want any they want it to run. They want it to run. So those that's an idea that comes from somebody, you know, from, uh, you know, Harry's razors. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or HP cartridges. And you say, well, yep. could that work? And it does. Yeah, it absolutely can. Because at the end of the day, they don't want to realize they need to replace a part. I mean, you can even have a hot swap part on site with the company and you check in every six months and depending on the capital outlay, they pay you when they use it. Yeah. There's a lot of creative ways you could do that. And you say, well, why would I do that? Well, because you pick up probably some of your strongest margins on your wear parts and you don't want to open that up to competition. Yeah. Because over time, that might even be, uh, depending on what the machine, what you sell, but it could be more revenue than the actual original CapEx that went into the machine. Yeah. And a happier yeah. customer at, at the same time. And and that's the kind of stuff you say, oh, so when we have lulls in our production, we could be making some of these wear parts. And now we know where they're going to go. And so yeah. our timeliness when somebody needs a part is instant because we have a certain amount on the shelf. And of course, we've all learned that running supply chains, and you know, this goes way back to what, 40 years ago, Elihu Golrat wrote The Goal, right? And that really yeah. helped revolutionize the whole thinking around supply chains. And of course, ERP systems and everything helped that. Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening is everybody decided to run, actually not what he writes in the book. He does not say don't run with any inventory. Yeah. He says run as lean as is practical uh, and have buffer. But people yep. forgot those chapters because on the PL, on your balance sheet, especially, it's very yeah. enticing to say no inventory because, after all, our suppliers will be reliable and they'll meet us. But if everyone on the chain is thinking that, you're down to somebody who makes paper clips in China holding up the entire line. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly a big part of what's happened in the last, and, is, and talking to the manufacturers, especially in the last year, as I've interviewed folks and talked to them. I'm hearing more and more like, oh, yeah, we got to create, we, we have to sacrifice some cash off the balance sheet and turn it into stuff on the shelf. Yeah. We got to, maybe not back to what it was in the 80s before people started thinking this way. Yeah. But there's got to be a happy medium there. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right. It has to be, you have to, because you can't, the disruption is horrible and it's killed a lot of businesses. Oh, the yeah. disruption itself has killed a lot of businesses. And and then when you look at it too, the other thing that I've heard a lot of people talking about is 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 really considering the cost a little bit differently with offshoring, mm -hmm. and going nearshoring, staying in 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 uh, North America or North or South America to to try to try to lessen the potential impact of of anything like that. But um, and you're right, it's you have to do what's acceptable. But again, back to Back to value prop and what you guys are doing there with the uh, designing the revenue growth you want. So what are some of the, the things that you see common across the businesses that you help when you're, when you're looking to design this revenue growth system that um, will just revolutionize their, their business? Yeah. Well, those who do this naturally well already are, 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 are gaining some of the benefits of it. And, and I love working with a customer or a client that's already on the right track okay. uh, because that means they're thinking the right way and they really like to, 
they're very open. You would think if they're on the right track, why would they need me? Well, because they want to, you know, it's like a top athlete that has hires the best personal trainer. Yeah. Right. LeBron hasn't stopped working out. Right. And that's why yeah. he stays, you know, he's 37, 38 and is still an elite player, for example, whether you like him or not as a player. But I'm just saying yeah. he's a great player, a historic player. Yeah. Michael Jordan, the same thing. So the one thing they have in common is they have a clarity on two things. Extreme clarity on the customer they serve best. And extreme clarity on the problem they actually solve. And they don't talk about. And this, I often have to retrain them to think about it this way, uh, especially in technical categories. We are trained historically to talk about our stuff in terms of describing the thing, right? The machine does this. The machine is this, uh, this big, this it weighs this much, yeah. or, you know, our paint trucks will show up at this time and do these things. And that's all important. You have to cover that ground at some level, but really understanding what it is you're solving. So, you know, I worked with a company that uh, they paint uh, airports, the runway lines, right? You know, all mm -hmm. of that. Now, that's actually very skilled work uh, because it's not just road painting anywhere anywhere else on the highway. And you, we've all encountered um, highways occasionally where you realize, oh, boy, that machine went sideways on that. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. the lines kind of went cattywampus and you go, what happened there? Well, it turns out, like, in an airport, all the, uh, the marks are laid out, not just the long runway lines, the short ones, where the plane has to stop to let other planes land. So if you're off by 18 inches on that, literally, you could be creating disaster, right? So it's a really high-end thing. So, so you think about it, you say, well, so, so what's the problem you really solve? Well, these airports cannot operate unless they're in compliance. And that's FAA monitored and reviewed yeah. and, and so on. And airports only make money, and they're all there, even if they're not-for-profits under the city. They only make money if planes are taken off and landing. Yep. So when you think about it, you say, well, we, we, either, we, you know, we paint roads that happen to be in airports. That's one way to look at it. The other way is we make sure your airport never will never uh, miss out on revenue opportunities from takeoffs and landings. That's a different value proposition, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that, and understanding who cares at your customer, because you may be dealing with uh, somebody who's like, you know, uh, the plant manager and they you can't have that conversation. Maybe some plant managers, you can't some you can't. They, they don't care. They don't know. So who do you have to talk to so they can understand that what your machine does actually helps them produce more stuff? You know, I have a client that does uh, specializes in something called design for manufacturability, mm -hmm. which is simply, uh, you know, how to re-engineer something. So that it uses, especially now with uh, petroleum-based products like plastics costing so much, yeah. how do you reduce the plastic content, keep the same rigidity and strength in the materials that you, in the, in the resulting products that you make, and while you're at it, reduce the number of moving parts so that assembly is more cost-effective from a human capital point of view, not just the petroleum-based product, but the actual human capital. So they are like a think tank that does nothing but help people figure that stuff out, whether it's a little robot or a baby carriage or whatever, they can figure that stuff out. So think of the value that has on a product that for a large consumer products company could be a $100 million line of business. Mm -hmm. And they're the back end. They're the end of they're the last mile on that. So understanding who do you serve best and the problem you really solve is the beginning 
of becoming really smart on how to build out everything else around it. So all too typical, an owner says, I want to grow. And somebody says, well, you know, I have a, a friend who's running a, who runs an SEO firm, right? Or runs a, a web marketing firm or something like that, or has a sales mm -hmm. training operation, all of which could be valid things to do. I'm not saying, of course, those are all important things to do. But until you really get your head wrapped around this key thought first and really test it, you could be spending a lot of money on the wrong message on the web, on the wrong keywords, training the wrong kind of sales approach. All of that is basically rooted in this simple understanding, what we call targeting. And targeting is not just the customer, but the problem. And then even taking that a little further, uh, Damon, like, what results do you want to show? For example, if you want to grow a million dollars, I'd say, okay, you want to grow a million dollars. What's your average sale? How many sales do you have to make additional? I mean, it's simple. I mean, this is back of the yeah. napkin type stuff. Yeah. But trust me, it's not like common. Is People don't do this. Mm -hmm. And I say, so in other words, you need to generate, and then what's your close rate? You know, so you say, oh, so you yeah. need to have 10 additional conversations a month to get to that million dollars. And then you say, well, 10, that's not, that's not crazy, right? That's like, I don't know how to do it. Maybe they might think, but yeah, 10 is not a ridiculous, insurmountable thing. You say, okay, well, that's what you need. You need 10, you're going to close four and yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. You do the math and that's your million dollars. So now you could start thinking, okay, well, who can help me get those 10 conversations? Mm -hmm. What's the best method to get to those 10 conversations? That's all targeting. So we really do a heavy emphasis on the front end of knowing what you're aiming for, give it quantified as much as possible, not exhaustively, but enough so that everybody can get their head wrapped around, huh, that's doable. And that's the first challenge, Damon, is an owner has to not only desire growth, they have to believe it's attainable. Yeah. If they don't believe, no one else on the team is going to believe more. No one's going to believe in your growth more than the owner. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. You, you have to believe you're going to be able to do it to to get there. That's for sure. And like you said, the owner has to believe it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because you just that's the way it does. I like that. Like the simplicity in this, though. You know, you get really succinct on your customer, your problem and the results you're going to create, because that is, you know, it's it's whatever you want to call it developing the right persona understanding your product there's all kinds of things about it but it's it it allows you to articulate in the right words the right way so people can understand very quickly if you're someone they should talk to or if your solution is right for them potentially right for them absolutely and you know this is it's the kind of stuff that if anyone even sat through like one Vistage meeting ever, they would this would come up and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I have to get my right customer. But having been in the meetings <laughs> with a leadership team, that's that as an objective is easy to say. But if you've been in business 10, 20, 30 years, it's actually hard to zero in on. Mm -hmm. Because what does that mean exactly? Does that mean a certain industry? Does that mean a certain type of buyer? Does that mean a certain size company? Does that mean a certain geography? Uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. Is it, yeah. you know, I always say, what clients would you, or customers would you clone if you had the cloning wand, right? You could clone them. Mm -hmm. Which one would it be? Is it your biggest single customer? 
and it, that intuitively they say, yeah, I like, you know, I'm working with deer. I like, I like another John Deere. I like Caterpillar. I say, okay, great. Let's examine your business with deer. Let's break it down. Mm-hmm. Are you making money? Well, of course, it's 50% of our revenue. Yeah, but are you making money with them? Yeah. Because chances are for the, and I'm not picking, I could pick on any large manufacturer. Yeah. This is what procurement has to do. Every year they're squeezing you for another two points, three points, two points, three points. You've been doing it for 20 years. You, it turns out, and I, I had one client that it turned, they were working with a big manufacturer and they were pr- producing a sub assembly for them. And when they did this analysis, they realized we're actually shipping dollars out with every part. Yeah. So what do you do? I said, well, you have to reprice, let them know, reprice it. We're going to lose the business. I said, do you really want to continue shipping dollars out with every part? But there's this mental inertia because there's a sense of security. I'm working with, mm-hmm. you know, name the big company, Boeing, uh, you know, uh, yeah. it doesn't matter, Oshkosh, whatever. Like you said, Caterpillar. Is yeah. Those are all things you want to be associated with. But you, so you say, okay, first of all, if you provide unique value, and that's the second thing. You have to provide a unique value. So know the problem you solve, but know how you solve it uniquely. And there's a whole discussion we get into on, on how to do yeah. that. But if you provide unique value, you hang on to a good amount of it. So what they in this particular example, they repriced their whole line of things they did for this for this large manufacturer. And sure enough, they lost about two thirds of the business. But it was two thirds that they were not making money on. Yeah. The one third they kept, they actually were uh, more complex parts that were more valuable to their customer mm-hmm. and therefore they kept the business, their, their bottom line EBITDA transformation in a year was amazing. They were, they were about 60% as big as an overall top line company, but they went from being in the red continuously or right on that border, you know, where like, like the brakes are yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, metal on metal. There's no path. It's just not good. It's just not good. <laughs> and you just, you, just you, you know, you're still kind of moving along, but it's yeah. painfully here. So they yeah. actually turned, they went into the black. And I said, well, that's 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 growth on purpose. And it sounds counterintuitive, but you say, well, Gio, so you, you took their top line down. I said, yeah, but I took their bottom line up. Now they're yeah. prepared to invest and continue growing their top line. Yeah. And again, when you go back to the basics of what you said, understand your customer the problem the results that you create for that customer and and then as you just said solving that uniquely go out and find more of the customers like that that will make you that kind of money rather than using all your capacity up to ship dollars out the door and that's it it's just it's so it's like anything else in life damon there's things that sometimes you need a good friend to come alongside and tell you yeah you know like the truth about something and, you know, and you maybe, you know, I've had friends where I, there's things I've wanted to say, and I, I generally, generally am pretty circumspect with the times you just got to speak up. Yeah. And, uh, and I've had friends that say, you know what, Jose, thanks so much for telling me that I really needed to hear that. And I've had others that I haven't heard from since. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. And that, okay. You know, I can't care. I can't want it more than you do. So that's what that well, is. Well, and not, now that's, that's a great point. That's a great point because to help someone in this situation, They've got to want the help. They even because sometimes you'll I'm sure you've gone into it in, with good intentions and you've had clients that have good intentions and they hire you, but they really don't want to change. Even and, though they're paying. Yeah. And actually, they fall into two categories, which is always interesting to me. There's the one that at the end of the day isn't ready to pay the price. Right. 
Mm. So uh, years ago, I worked with the manufacturer. They've been around a long time, and it was like family-owned business. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> they had um, a lot of old equipment, but they could do probably eight, nine different operations on metal. And the production manager had been there like 20 years, right? VP of production. Yeah. Wasn't family, but was like family. Yeah. And we were going through their capabilities. And then he said something and it caught my, I said, what? And, and I asked him to repeat it. And then I said, so let me understand this. It, when you are asked to quote something with more than three operations, you cannot tell the customer when you'll have it done for them. Is that what you're telling me? He says, that's correct. Which I was astounded that he could say that in front of everybody, but they just took this for granted. Like, this is just, you do best efforts. and nobody buys that way right and and they were yeah. shrinking obviously so i said well wait a have you have you talked to like your local mep centers have you looked at lean you know have you brought in somebody he says oh that won't work for us and in my you know right then and there i said and i didn't see any of the ownership team respond to that and i said well clearly it won't work for you because you believe it won't work for you and it works for everyone else but it doesn't work for you so i guess and, and sure enough they couldn't make the turn so mm-hmm. that's the first thing is not willing to to try something new. The other one that's interesting is the person, and this was usually when I have very short engagements, not many, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I call the I know, I know person, right? You point something out to them and oh, I know, I know. You point something out, I know, I know. And and then they start trying to give directions. Say, can you, can you do, you know, I don't know what it is, uh, uh, get a trade show booth done for us or something. I say, well, wait a second. Then, you know, one of us is in the wrong room here because this is not what we do. And um, and obviously you have this thing dialed in. You got it all figured out. I don't know why I got invited to the conversation because you got it all figured out. And and usually these are smart people who have a lot of it figured out. But there's such an efficiency if they would hand off some of that. But they just really want to be that person that everybody views as they know they got it all figured out. And I can't mm-hmm. help that person. That's, you know, I always say it's good to have a humble confidence. I want to work with confident people, but I also want to work with people who know they don't know everything. I like that. Humble confidence. I'm writing it down because that's that's key. I think that's key. And you see you see that in the best performing companies over time because it's 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 like that 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 humble being uh, and the humility that that brings is having the confidence to say this was a great direction we did yesterday but we're going that direction today because it's even better (laughs) and they show and 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 i figured that out from you know jim down the street that was you know told me that i think it's an awesome idea we got to do it you know it's just it's it's uh because the being humble they don't have to be the one and and they need to be confident because they have to stand up and make the right decision. Sure. No, that's exactly. And I've just seen, I, I've been inspired. I've had mentors in my life yeah. who really live that out. And, uh, and, and I've, I try, you know, again, it doesn't, it really matters what my wife would say about this, but I like to think I'd like to be that kind of person that, you know, willing to listen and how, you know, it's always like, how do I make it better? How do I do, how do I do it better? If you're always asking that question, then you're going to learn. It doesn't mean you're going to do everything that somebody suggests because, you, you know, you only have so many cycles and so on. Uh, but you're open to ideas. And, uh, and you know, the worst thing in the world is that you, you tell your team, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. Okay, any ideas, any other ideas? You know, that's 
Because yeah. no boss, you you got it, you know, and and then you don't really get the benefit of your team. So even yeah. knowing how to brainstorm with your team is something that a lot of owners candidly don't have, often don't have the skill to know how to do that. And that's something that I often get brought in to help people figure out mm-hmm. how to pull good ideas from good people. And I, I'll tell owners, I said, do you have a good team? Oh, absolutely. Great team. I love my team. I said, do you trust them? Absolutely. I said, do you think they're smart? Oh, yeah, they're very smart. All right, then let me pull that out of them. But you can't be in the room. Yeah. <laughs> because they're all looking to you for what you think about their idea in real time. And uh, and it, they're self-editing. And it doesn't matter if half the ideas are never implementable. But, yeah. but the few that are, what an opportunity to get somebody to, re- first of all, for you to even see what their thought process is might be how they solve problems. You want a problem-solving organization if you're going to have a growth organization in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm giggling because we last fall we did this with a client and it drove him crazy because I said, listen, we're going to have uh, your your weekly operational meetings. We listened to them for, for a, a three, four weeks, and we said, we're going to start doing them without you from now on. Because it was the owner talking, right, and everyone shaking their head, and we, 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 and and then we brought them back. I think three months later, it was a completely different meeting because all these people had gotten used to. This is my department. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. This is how it relates to our goals. And and you're that's a huge thing because as you said, you need a problem solving organization to be growing in this day and age. And, and that's, yeah, that's really cool. So when you talk about the, the value prop, you, you created what you said, the revenue throughput model. Tell us you're the co-inventor of that. Tell, talk a little bit about that because I can't not see that. I can't not ask about it. Let's talk about it. No, no, absolutely. So, uh, so one of my mentors started a consulting practice and it was my transition into consulting. So I worked with him. He says, can you help me out? as um in this whole area of methodology he knew that was a strength i had like figuring out Mm -hmm. processes and stuff and so we started working together and he worked with slightly smaller firms and and i would see how they would it's almost like the the uh, the boys fingering the dike you know they would plug one hole and another hole open and so on and say you know I, i just don't see revenue flowing through this business uh very effectively because some things are working well, but then other things break down. So that was the, the genesis of that thought. And so his name is Doug Chrisman. Yep. He is since retired. But again, mentor of mine, I knew him for many years. And then we had a great time together working on this. And so what it started developing was a model. Initially, we built it on just using a spreadsheet to capture the idea. We came up with 48 elements, uh, dimensions in eight major categories that we said, okay, these are things we're seeing in small, and by the way, you know, you could argue in any businesses, hundreds of dimensions, right? But we picked these 48 as being the most indicative 80-20 rule that would most affect it. And then we came up with this mental picture, this metaphor of a pipe. So you picture a pipe, opportunities go on one side, profitable revenue comes out the other, right? Very simple thought of of a pipe. But imagine that pipe had eight valves, right? And those valves are either open or closed. And so you could have a lot of wide open valves, but if one is closed, let's say mm-hmm. something like customer success, 
So what, what happens with customer success is closed. We have a great marketing, we got leads, we have great sales process, we make a great product. And uh, But customer success is when somebody has a problem and they call your 800 number, they get routed to voicemail hell. Yeah. When somebody eventually answers the phone, they don't have the answers and nobody returns phone calls. So what happens is that's the last order you get from that customer, unless you have something so unique that like can't be bought anywhere else. But yeah. in almost every category, there's alternative. They can find it. <laughs> they can find something somewhere else. So all of a sudden you think you're kind of thinking, well, but we have all this stuff going gangbusters, but there's one thing, or even you have a great sales team, but your marketing doesn't pick up, doesn't create leads, doesn't create opportunities. So you have salespeople and you say, how good are they? And you say, well, they're really good. How about writing complex proposals? Oh, they, they're very good at that. Well, the, the challenge is they only have to do one a month. So they're very good, yeah. at it, right? Now, if we fix marketing and they have to do 10 a month, you realize they're not that good. And now your bottleneck on that pipe floats from marketing to sales. So the idea is it's not a once and done thing. It's a way of looking at your business as a system. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, you want opportunities going in one side and you want profitable revenue coming out the other. So we say the first thing is targeting. Are you even putting in the right opportunities for your business? Mm -hmm. Second is differentiation. How are you standing out in the market? Like, why should they pick you? Why should they want to talk to you? Third is marketing, meaning all the traditional kind of you have to do. Yep. You have to reach out to the market, let the market know you. And then fourth is sales. Those are kind of the, the, the valves across the top of the pipe. The valves on the bottom part of the pipe are risk. Things like customer concentration, employee concentration, banking, investor relations. I mean, you you may want to expand and your bank says, no, no, no. Yeah, you're not going to do that. And then resources, like what's your infrastructure like? What kind of, you know, administration? So all of a sudden you realize that, boy, when we send our invoices, people hate our invoices. They don't understand how to read them. They pay us late as a result of not being able to interpret what they should be paying. So that impacts cash flow, which impacts our investment capability, which means we cut back on marketing, which means we don't have leads. And it all came from an invoice. And yeah. it happens every day. And then the, the 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 seventh thing is what we call production, the ability to do the work you promise people you can do, right? Like you got to execute there. And mm -hmm. that's the case of the guy who had couldn't do more than three operations without like falling apart, right? Even though he had all the equipment to do nine operations, yeah. he couldn't really do it. And lastly, what we call like customer success or fulfillment. How do you make sure customers stay happy working with you so you get repeat business? So you think about those eight valves and we help customers, cl our clients think through that. We get into detail with their leadership team and we kind of score things on a red, yellow, green basis. That's it. We don't, yep. everybody wants to cheat and say, well, can it be kind of green? Can it be, can it be just a little bit red? Say, Listen, it's red. If it's, if it's a turn of the valve to close through, yeah. It's yeah. green if it's open. It's yellow if it's not if it's not affecting you. And something that's neutral or yellow today, when you fix some other part of the of the pipe, now becomes a constraint, right? So we look at that idea: is it a contributor? Is it a constraint? So that's yeah. the model we developed, and and what it helped us do, and you know we've done group sessions where we've brought in, you know, eight companies with their leadership teams, each at their own table. Mm -hmm. And I remember one very clear: it was a small contract manufacturer, maybe three four million dollars a year. And we described the process. And then we were before we began the process uh, during a break, a coffee break, he says, uh, the owner says, man, I'll do this because that's it was recommended that we do this. It was uh, 
through an MEP center, they recommend it. But I know my team and I, we're, we're like of one mind. I said, oh, really? Okay, well, that's great. So, oh, we start, <laughs> so we start the process where they have to like agree and grade on what's red, what's yellow, what's green. And all of a sudden, like I'm telling you, I said, where's this like heat coming from? And it was this really heated conversation at that table. They were not at all of one mind. And I, <laughs> and I had to come over to kind of the, to like, come, hey, it's, it's okay. We'll be all right. I said, it's better this surface now and you guys can wrestle with these things because how else can we figure out what to work on? Mm-hmm. What should be? addressed and so this is a really powerful part of our process where we damon get a leadership team to really take a a holistic look at their business and and it's different than something you can do you know like like i you know i've talked at visage i was a visage member for years i love Mm -hmm. peer advisory but let's face it peer advisory you get maybe 15 minutes of airtime to process one issue you get some great insights from the folks like if you're making a decision should i fire gladys or not and they'll help you figure that out but they're not going to help you figure out your system for your business you know that's Mm -hmm. not what they're there for and it's not just about operations because it's about thinking about your system as it relates to creating growth which is where just being well run might lead to some growth but we're looking at the things that really hinder growth and profitable growth at that. That's what that's what our focus on uh, is on, and that that would be our differentiator in terms of how we work with clients. Yeah, and that's awesome. They, I mean, I'm sitting here just scrambling, writing notes because they're so great. You know, when you talk about your eight different valves: targeting, differentiation, marketing, sales, risk, resources, production, and customer success, and then the simple red yellow green it gives you should we we have to work on the red ones the green ones we're not worrying about the yellow ones is going to be a problem sooner or later but just keep an eye on it that it simplifies it because otherwise you're sitting here trying to work on everything and you don't need to work on some of it yeah in fact we we have uh you know so we have a cloud-based platform that helps us score this for a particular customer mm-hmm. and then uh, we have a button that basically says a critical path and it will based, uh, not everything weighs the same. So we have a, we have an mm-hmm. algorithm yeah. we've developed over the years. It will only surface the top three or four items for you to look at that are the yeah. most problematic that could have the biggest contribution. So you could have 18 red items. You're only going to work on four because yeah. the reality is you can't work on more than that. The best yeah. you can, you know, and, and we pick the four that are the, the ones that are most impactful for growth. And, and we put them in the order of that, which is most important. So if you only have time to work on one thing, you're going to work on the number one thing. And you, as a team, determined it was red. And we give you criteria how to, you know, yeah. what does red mean and so on. But the point is, yeah. that's the power of thinking about your business systemically. And so you could redo that every quarter or so. Mm-hmm. It trains your team to think about your business as interconnected. So it isn't, uh, and I've seen this, and you've seen this in companies where, uh, well, it's marketing's fault or it's production's yeah. fault or it's customer service's fault. No, we we in a small business, we all own the result. We're all going to be affected by it. We're all yeah. in the same parking lot going into the same building. So that's where we think one of the one of the outcomes of this process is getting people on the same page and thinking more team going through this process because they actually can sense, oh, that's why that happens there. And, and maybe yeah. they have an idea for somebody in, in a different discipline because they're looking at it differently. Yes. This is awesome. 
That's all I'm saying right now. It's awesome. It's just, it's just this is this is incredible, and I'm I'm so glad we brought it up because this the the thing that you're doing with the, your revenue throughput uh, model here is you're incorporating the eighty twenty to make sure we're working on the stuff that's going to make the biggest difference in your revenue today. And and then, like you said, you can just re, re reassess it every quarter, every half a year, whatever you think is appropriate, and just keep keep working on what's what's limiting your growth. That's awesome. So, what what have been some real revelations that people have seen that because you probably have clients who have been on this for a while now because you did this 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 is a, a few years ago you developed yeah. this. So what are some of the things that you've seen people do with it? I mean, over the years, what, as, how has it transformed their business? How has it really helped them? Have you seen some people just emerge as industry leaders because of it or, or what? Oh yeah, what no, absolutely. So the, um, for example, the, the company that did, uh, uh, paints airports. Yeah. They, um, we worked with them for a year through this process with their leadership team. We also mm -hmm. added some additional, uh, tools for giving them visibility on revenue in a way that they weren't really, they didn't have as much clarity as what's coming up. They were always frustrated. Like, how do we project what's coming? And I said, well, let's take a look at that. We built a model for them okay. that came out of that was a real issue for them. That was one of the things we, we, we call yeah. pipeline management is one of the things that could be read. And so yeah. we developed an initiative around that. And uh, basically within uh, the, we worked a year and then, they received an unsolicited offer from a PE firm for a fantabulous amount of money and they sold the business and it was <laughs> very successful. So that's a, that's a real success story such that the, the owner had a party for his employees and everything. I was invited to it. It was a black tie affair and they had Cirque du Soleil coming in. as Oh, wow. oh yeah. It was pretty, it was off the chain. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's very, awesome. It's very that's good, but awesome. you know that's a, that's that's like a, that you know the ultimate owner happy story, right? Yeah. But you know that's yeah. that's one I think very real example of uh, of things that you know you know what it is, it, it Damon. It, it, if you create transparency and you create a way that people can actually see what's going on in the business, that people want to work on their businesses. I mean, those who do really do. Yeah. And as you said, I think you said it really well. There's so much to work on. It's like, you know, it's an infinite string, right? Like, how, how, what do you work on? So our ability, we believe strategically, there's a few key things you have to anchor your thinking around. Targeting is one. Differentiation is another. You got to have a marketing plan of some kind, right? If you're doing B2B and you're, you have to have a sales process, that's a real sales process. And I've asked people, what's your sales process? They say, well, you know, we get a call. We make a proposal and we close it or don't close it. I say, well, that's not a sales process. <laughs> that's that's, yeah. that's just that those are happy milestones along probably was there a demo involved? Oh yeah, there was a demo. Was there presentations? Were there, did you have to connect them with references? You know, all those things are things that you can anticipate and improve on. And so we help them do that. And we've done this, you know, across a wide range of businesses in, in B2B again, uh, like industrial service, like the painting company, the contract manufacturing that skinny down to grow. All right. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, it's really giving them, and, and here's the thing, some of the things they do have nothing to do with what we do with them, but it creates a mindset of tracking, of dashboarding, which is one of the things we measure as a strength or weakness in a company. Do you have metrics and where are they being tracked? And 
you don't need, and some will come out with this report that has like a thousand metrics. I said, does anyone read that? I said, what are the three metrics you really need to know? There's a manufacturer that uh, they were late all the time, late days late, right? So they added up all their days late from all their projects and they, they literally had hit a thousand, a thousand yeah. days late cumulatively, right? So some projects yeah. 10 days, 50 days, whatever. And I said, that's, well, how are you going to get reorders if you're late all the time? If people know you as the company that's late, you can't trust them. Yeah. So he said, we changed that. And the reason they were late is when somebody called to place an order, they were so hungry for the business. They just said yes. And then figured we'll figure it out at the end. Right. Well, at the end, yeah. they couldn't figure it out because you yeah. know, it's finite. So they changed their philosophy because they were measuring that and they put it up on a big board inside the business in the manufacturing floor. And that went from a thousand to 700 to 300 to hundred to 50 to zero. Yeah. And they were not late anymore. Now they get better business at better margins. Their customers trust them more. Those are the transformations that, that I love to see happen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I tell you, Jose, it's been awesome. It's been incredible having you. I, it just really is. And it's no, such a pleasure for me. I appreciate it, Damon. This has been a lot of fun. I love I love talking about this stuff. So it's easy. Oh, oh, man. I, I so appreciate you sharing this with us because your revenue throughput model you, you develop with your, your cohort there is incredible. And listen to the applications of it is, is really valuable. We got a couple of great comments here on it, you know, about this is, this is great information. And, and it's just, man, thank you so much for being here today. Again, I wanted to thank Jose Palomino from Value Prop for being here today, talking about the keys to designing the revenue growth you want. If you're just catching this now, get back and listen to it listen to him talk about the revenue throughput and, and how it is, and then reach out to him. So Jose, where can people find you, get a hold of you? What is the best way to do that? Yeah. Two, two easy ways to do. One is just go to our website, valueprop.com. That's V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P.com. Lots of resources there. Our podcast, our blog, uh, a couple of guides made available, our book, all of that and contact easy ways to get a hold of me. And then also on LinkedIn, there aren't that many Jose Palominos, uh, but just follow Jose Palomino at Valley Prop and you'll find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out. Tell me that you heard me on Damon's show. And uh, if you want to talk to me, 15, 30 minutes, easy to have that conversation. See if there's, if there's a there there, happy to help. Um, you know, that's that's how my life has been advanced by other people. So I like to pay it forward as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here today, Jose. And thanks everyone else for listening. We'll be back again later this week. Thank you, Damon.